0: Beer, 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 beer,
1: beer, 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 Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White with Bert Deister. Good morning. How are you? Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, yes. Tomorrow. Earth Day weekend. Happy Earth Day. Uh... This is week 17 in a row saying, hey, it looks like maybe it'll get nice out. Yeah. Um. So we're on our way. That's yeah. good. That's it's been good. nice
0: weather now, hopefully continuing to be warm this week. You yeah. You can get back out to the garage, get back out to the patio. Um, for priors brewing in the garage, you know what I mean? It wasn't happening the past couple of weeks. Right, I made right. some small batches indoors, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can brew outside when it's cold. It's the rain that's going to just. The, yeah, the mud and the. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not good for anybody. All right. So, anyway, uh, happy Earth Day. And congrats to all the winners and everybody that helped with uh, AWOG. How things ultimately shake out.
0: Good, good. I mean, rough weather for the last day, but they got all the beers judged in time. Um, and, uh, you know, the reception went well. So, I wasn't able to make it to the reception. I was able to make it to judge a little bit, um, but always a, a good crowd. And the, the judging to me is always really fun and uh, exciting. So,
1: yeah. And we turn the page from that to the UniHa 40th Annual mm-hmm. Homebrew Competition. The deadline for that is May 2nd. Yes, and so we have entries stacking up right now. Similar
0: process to sign up, you know, go online, you know, register. You can pay online and then bring your entries marked and unmarked bottles to Niagara Tradition. We'll make sure they end up
1: safely on their way. And as we move into the spring and closer to the summer, we get to our one of our two big uh, brewing holidays, there's National Homebrew Day, and then there's Teacher Teach Friend. Teacher Friend. Teacher yeah, Friend. friend. And so the,
0: National Homebrew Day is actually the spring holiday. And then, to be quite honest, not as popular usually among as, as brewers. it the Teacher Friend? You got it. Because normally, it's like the start of summer. So it's kind of, you know, it's tough. While well, people want to have their beer ready, you know, the tasting is there. People are not as interested as brewing. But I think this year will be a little bit different with our kind of late weather. We'll still be maybe in spring-like weather. Yeah, um, Maybe it will be summer. In early May.
1: We don't know. Will you guys be running specials We for will this? be
0: specials, and we will also have our beginning home brewing class at 11 a.m. in the morning that you have to sign up for online, um, and then we'll have our all-grain demo and tasting starting about 1.30 in the afternoon. We haven't decided what we're going to do for the all-grain demo, what form of all-grain brewing. So sometimes we'll do, you know, we've done party guile, we've done uh, brewing bag, we've done like single infusion, batch sparge, fly sparge, any combination. We've done Herms once. Um, so we'll decide what equipment we're going to stack up, and we'll do another all-grain demo as always in the afternoon. But the the one thing everybody's always ex- excited for is the tasting.
1: Yeah. So bring beers in.
0: We'll have beer. Okay. People, will be plenty of beer.
1: Is it always the first Saturday in May? Just
0: about, yeah. yeah. So it's Derby uh, Day.
1: Yeah. Oh, very good. No, no better day to homebrew than Derby Day. I mean, you can hang out all day. Mm-hmm. The Derby rolls off around like 6.15 or so, so, you know. Hunker down inside, brew it, brew it up, and by the time you know you're done, and uh, either pitching your yeast or depending on you know when you start, yep. um, you're watching the Derby. So, and
0: I am horrible at naming my beers. But when I brew on Derby Day and you have the Derby on in the background, you're just getting names thrown at you. And so it's wonderful (laughs) as you sit there and you get all these creative names, uh, you know, lets you focus on the beer a little bit more. But you get good names when you uh, brew beers on Kentucky Derby Day as well.
1: So more info on that probably next week. We'll have a better idea of uh, everything that you need to know for National Homebrew Day, which is coming up on May 5th. Uh, Right about now, though, tax season has passed. Uh, If you missed the deadline, Mm -hmm. oh well. Um, But tax returns. If you've got those, we've talked about smart ways to uh, put that money to work for you when it comes to making your brew process easier or having more control over it, which, whichever way you ultimately want to go. Yeah. And so we've talked about a couple
0: of things over the past couple of weeks. Kegging system, obviously a big plus from both of us there. Uh, a thermostat to control or you know, putting together a fermentation chamber, uh, counterflow chiller, beer gun for Monster, Grainfather. Um, and all these things that we've been talking about will definitely help you kind of progress uh, your brewing a little bit and if you're looking for something well they'll make all these things will make your beer you know brewing uh, f- more fun um, in the case of like the the thermostat or you know some of the fermenters that might make your beer a little bit better um, one thing that I kind of want to highlight that you can do with your tax return, that would be something that would pay forward, so save you money in the long run, especially if you're all grain brewer, is getting your own grain mill. Um, I have to admit, I own my own grain mill, and it's not very often that I use it, because I'm coming into Niagara Tradition, we have our grain mill there, um, but there's times when I know I'm brewing a bunch of beers in a row, and so to save quite a bit of money, instead of buying my malt 10 pounds, 15 pounds at a time, I go ahead, I bite the bullet, and I buy a full sack of grain. That means, now we do crush it in store uh, for you, so we can crush a whole sack, so you can get that you know, sack price, plus we can crush it, but most brewers wanna crush it as they use it at home. And so if you have a grain mill, and they go anywhere from, we'll say, $60 um, to $100, I'm giving you the one we have in store that we use and the one that I use at home, both are in stock at Niagara Tradition, um, it will make every batch a little bit cheaper because you can start buying your base malt in bulk. You'll get better, you know, efficiencies with older grain if you can keep it whole in the basement and it will keep a lot longer. So a grain mill, while not the most exciting home brewing purchase, it will save you money going forward so if you're looking at a way to kind of you know keep the home brewing costs or keep the cost per batch down buying your base malt uh, in a 55-pound sack saves you about half on your malt bill so mm-hmm. if you're used to paying twenty to thirty dollars you're gonna end up paying ten to fifteen dollars you know throw all your hops specialty malts on top of that but it will save you quite a bit in the long run
1: alright I had a question to follow up about that oh I was gonna see about the kegging system um, would you recommend still building your own kegerator over Absolutely. buying one? Absolutely. Because um, I think the prices of kegerators have come down a little bit. Yeah. But
0: it's it's kind of like if you want like, a, like a, a track day car or something like that. Yeah, you could go buy a Ferrari 458 and – take over the racetrack but that's going to be quite expensive and and probably for the you know funds per mile you're better off buying a Mazda Miata and lightweighting it And, and it's really kind of the same thing you could come into us and we sell them for you know anywhere I would say Uh, Because I've looked at them before About $1,000 gets you into the commercial end of kegerator So now you have a refrigerator that has a warranty It has all commercial items from the regulator to the taps to the faucet So all your gaskets, hoses are all going to match up But it's a very expensive unit as a whole And we do sell them We can drop ship them if you want Or you can come in and we can have them there And we can assemble them for you And you can come pick them up Um, And we do get takers on that every once in a while um, but we can't deny that it is by far more financially efficient for you to go buy, especially a chest freezer, because they use so much less energy. And that's really what it comes down to. You can take a chest freezer, you can save money, use your old home refrigerator, or you can buy like some type of beverage refrigerator or mini fridge, like kind of the apartment size ones, that'll hold two kegs. So for the average home brewer who doesn't uh, have this being used night after night like on a patio bar or something like that or behind a dry bar um, to get draft beer there you don't need the like the big stainless steel you know food safety certified with the cutting top and all that nice stuff you need something to stash into quarter in your basement and really when it comes down to the functionality of the, like how well is my beer being treated the chest freezer works just as well as one of these commercial brewing you know commercial beer fridges. And it's using about a third to a quarter of the energy. And you've paid all in all. Kegging, commercial, still getting all the commercial kegging stuff. You're looking at under $500. So for what you could go and get that cheap, like, you know, Best Buy, big box store, you know, um, cheap kegerator that has no name brand parts in it, you can build your own. Mm-hmm. And for about double that, you can get the commercial equivalent. What a bar would usually buy, again, to kind of – support a dry bar to get draft behind there. Um, But we can't deny that there's a big financial savings for you. Yeah. Uh, Huge to build it yourself. And it's not that much. And to be quite honest, if you buy the kegerator, the only thing that you're saving yourself is drilling the hole in for the tap or the tower. Right. That's the only work you saved yourself. You're still putting all all the hoses, you're attaching all the clamps, you're, you know, hooking up the CO2 cylinder. It's not like these things come tapped and ready to go. So you're still doing a bit of work even when you buy a pre-made one.
1: It's easy enough that I did it. Yeah. I mean I built a, a kegerator I
0: did 15 minutes.
1: Right. I mean well yeah you drill a hole to the top you mount the, the tower uh you pick up the what's the temperature thing what do you call that thing the Temp controller. temperature controller yeah you usually
0: spend five minutes trying to figure out where you think the best spot for the probe is on that yep. i hope for the bottom yep um and then you spend more time pouring yourself that first beer and kind of staring at it yeah you know what
1: i mean door open looking at all the hoses and just like yeah yep uh and the size you know there's one thing to watch for like make sure you can fit i would say if you're going to do it um, the chest freezers, two corny kegs can fit in there pretty comfortably. Yeah,
0: if you build the, the collar a little bit higher, if you yeah. do the chest freezer, you can fit three, and it all depends on the chest freezer. I like the little modular ones. I think I, that's what I pushed you yep. to get as well. And, again, because I think it's like a dollar a month on the electricity. Yeah. And the wattage is super low on it. Um, and if I have my choice, I'd rather have an army of those because I could potentially keep beers at different temperatures and stuff like that instead of having the one big eight-footer, you know what I mean, that can hold – like Seven
1: kegs, eight kegs, yeah. somewhere around there. You can make that I don't much need beer. That temptation. If you can make I that much beer, that I mean that holy much cow. Temptation. Yeah. So kegging system, thermostat, counterflow chiller, beer gun, the for monster. You've new for monsters in?
0: Yes, we do. So now they, they were coming in a six point five and a seven point five, and I know we were all kind of hoping for a fourteen. Not yet, but they do have a one-gallon and a three-gallon, which is really nice. So if you're doing one-gallon or three-gallon batches, which is actually something I've been talking about a lot, trying to do more uh, big IPAs, but I want to keep them fresh. I want to roll through them you know. So I'm doing a lot of one- and three-gallon batches myself. So new for monsters. Um, Also, we have some new concentrates. So we always have carried a couple uh, local goods that kind of tie into home brewing. Um, You know, local honey, uh, maple sugar. Um, But now we also have a couple of different fruit concentrates that are local. So we have uh, Singer Farms, both their Concord and Tart Cherry concentrates. We are really only seeing people using the cherry concentrate to make uh, Creeks, like a Belgian style of beer. And we've seen a lot of people, Not only play around with the beer but a lot of people just buying it to consume it and so we have that and we have the concord and so it's been interesting to see how people um have been playing around with it and so each one of these is one quart and makes about six quarts of juice um, so it's a nice booster, too. It's a pasteurized product, so if you're trying to add it you know, late into a fermentation or trying to add it to also get your sugar content up, it will do that for you. It's right. highly concentrated.
1: All right, we're going to get a break in. On the other side, steps to make your extract taste more like all-grain brewing. And if you missed last week's show, it was about the age of IPAs, how it works, why you can't age them and uh, just understanding the, the, the timelines that you might have with the hops that you're using. So that's On Demand. Find any episode On Demand at ESPN 1520's website. Extract Brewers, how to taste more like all grain. next on Niagara Traditions, Just Brew It, here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply 1296 Sheridan Drive near military in Tonawanda. open Monday through Friday 11 to 7 Saturdays 10 to 4 and 24/7 at nthomebrew.com Niagara Tradition Homebrew pay them a visit and remember to just brew it. All right, welcome back to Niagara Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Extract to all grain in terms of uh quality, taste, how to make it more if you're brewing extract like an all grain product. Yeah.
0: And and I think there this comes up a lot because a lot of new brewers now go online, they start looking at blogs, and they talk about people how their all-grain beers have been so much better uh, than their extracts. And I think that there's a little bit of a misconception here, that extract has a particular flavor. Yes, there's limited availability, um, but compared to, you know, just base grain, but there isn't necessarily a flavor that you can attribute only to the extract. I think there is flavors you can attribute to young and inexperienced brewers. So often when people, I think, say, hey, my, uh, you know, my beer got a lot better when I did all grain, I think it's also because a lot more time and focus is being put into the beer and into key elements. When you first start brewing, you really focus a lot on recipes and trying out new ingredients, and you're not really Often sitting there, at least I know this was my case, trying to work on your consistency, work on the quality of your product. Often you don't know what the major flaws that you're producing are yet, um, so they're not bothering you. (laughs) So it kind of, you know, the horse's blinders there, you don't know that your beers are a little bit diacetyl or a little bit under attenuated, but you're happy with them, you know what I mean? And you're moving on to the next one. Okay, I did a pale ale, let me try an IPA, let me try an IPA with a different hop, let me try a different yeast. And you're moving around a lot, trying to find, we'll say, you know, ingredients that are your favorite, or kind of even brewing methods that you're favorites, but I think a lot of people, as they begin learning these small steps, figuring out where the errors are in their beer, they're also moving on to all grain brewing from extract because it's a hobby. They're looking to put more effort into it. You're honestly looking to learn a little bit more, too. And you end up making better beer, not because you've moved on to all grain, but because you became a much better brewer. Um, And I think that's something that's overlooked. And we often see um, new brewers coming in feeling an obligation to go right to all grain. You know what I mean? And you think of maybe, oh, my buddy started brewing when he was doing extract. Man, his beers were rough. You don't have to do, um, all grain to make good beer. And, and one of the reasons why I was thinking about this more recently is as we get to competition time and, and I'm looking over with friends who's, you know, are giving me score sheets from previous recipes and stuff like that. And now oh, what can I do to kind of make this a little bit better? Um, they're the the score sheets do not correspond to whether they're doing extract or all grain necessarily um and so i know a lot of really good extract brewers who are getting scores in the 30s every time there's nowhere on their score sheet that anybody is saying oh this is an extract beer It's not happening, you know what I mean? So you can make really good beer. And these are people who've been brewing for years, some of them who have gone all grain and come back to extract just because of time or space constraints. So let's kind of get down to the list here and what you can do. And I think the first of all we can talk about is don't skip any of your basics. Sanitize, measure everything, temperatures, times. Take really good notes. Um, Again, this is a lot of times when you brew, these things become uh, more consistent, more... Uh, you know, just built into your process of, you know, sanitizing everything, rinsing all your sanitizers away, letting stuff drip dry, pre-treating your water, those kinds of things that if you can do for every beer um, are going to make them all a lot better. Um, Another thing is add base malts and when you steep, pay close attention to your temperatures. Adding a little bit of malts that still have some enzyme and it will change the natures of the sugar, not only for your malt extracts, but also for your specialty malts as well. And as your beer slowly comes up to a boil, you will get a little bit of breakdown. Um, So if you're not using any base, um, and no malt extract that I really see often is diastatic or still has enzymes in it, because the malt extract wouldn't keep as well with the enzymes in it. you you lose a little bit of breakdown then of the specialty malts you're using. You know, we talked about this before is like things to watch out for as you start to go in from, you know, all, or extract to all grain is you can start using a lot more specialty malts, especially crystal malts because you're not going to leave as many kind of high you know uh, dextro sugars behind so when you use crystal malts and you have a little mini mash or you have a little bit of base malt in there it helps break down some of those sugars so you don't kind of get that intense like you know bitter caramel kind of flavor Um, another thing you can really do that I think that I moved to pretty quickly and really helped me um, and maybe is one of the reasons why um, I uh, kind of maybe defend extract so much is when i started brewing i started happy birthday dad i started brewing on his all grain system but brewing extract so i had a big 15 gallon kettle i had a wart chiller i did not have the time to i was often going over to his house his garage you know what i mean oh i'm gonna help you out with some yard work and i'm gonna brew a bucket of beer to take back to you know my apartment here Um, So I started brewing on big all grain equipment for brewing extract beers. When you do a full boil, you get less caramelization out of your wort uh, and you get a lot more out of your hops. And the other big thing that you're doing is you're treating all of your water before fermentation. So if you can do a full boil, you will need a wort chiller. Um, you will get a lot less caramelization, so it'll be easier to make lighter beers, drier beers, um, and you're also going to get a lot more out of your hops. And I think that changes definitely the, the dynamics and the flavors you get out of the hops. You're adding less to get more alpha acids, so you're not getting as much kind of resiny flavors to it. Um, next thing you can do is get a war chiller if you chill your beer fast not only is your you reducing your risk to uh, oxidation of the malts and caramelization you know loss of you know flavor from your hops uh, just because they're volatile and they're coming off um, your infection risk goes up uh, you'll also help coagulate more proteins, get a, something called a cold break. So as these proteins begin to ravel back up, they'll grab onto each other. So you get clear beer as well. So if you do a full boil, and then you can also combine that with a wort chiller, um, you're really going to reduce some of the dangers of chill haze, you know, uh, caramelization, oxidation. Um, particularly caramelization, oxidation, chill haze, um, plus we'll say... We'll add a little bit of you know phenolic yeast character in there. I think that combination of flavor is often what people associate as kind of quote unquote that you know extract flavor. So, by doing this full boil, getting a wort chiller, you are going to reduce that kind of risk of getting those flavors um, significantly. Uh, next thing you can do, and we talk about this I think a lot with the all grain brewers, and I think when I have to answer questions at store. This is probably most often the advice I'm giving out now is aerate your wart. Um, when you're working with just air and not a tank of oxygen, you can't overdo it. Um, but it's very easy to kind of fall up short, you know, for most beers, you're shooting, you know, about eight parts per million, if not higher, eight parts per million is about the limit of what you can get by using your ambient air because of how little oxygen is in it. So go nuts. Um, you know, if you're an extract brewer, you have this, you know, a little bit of cold water stashed away in your bucket. You have like the two gallons of hot wort. Pour it back and forth like crazy um, between the bucket and the pot. Uh, my solution was often to um, dribble the, the kind of beer out of the ball valve all the way down, let it fall three or four feet off the, the table, off the stove and into my bucket. And I would do that more than once. So I would walk away for half an hour, let all my wort go down into my fermentation bucket, just kind of bleeding into the ambient air that would also help cool it down significantly. And I would come back and I would do it again. And so I would do that twice so that I knew that I was getting every little bit of oxygen I could into that beer. Um, the other thing you can do, and this kind of goes into the same line, if you're aerating your wort for the the health of your yeast, also use more yeast. Um, with extract brewers, you're often just getting a kit, you know what I mean? Or uh, a can and you're just pulling out that one yeast and you're go ahead and using that. You might rehydrate it to their instructions. but it's it's very uh, few and far between that extract brewers often start looking at doing starters, looking at rehydrating, looking at what their pitch count should be for a beer. And to be quite honest, most extract kits leave you a little bit short. I especially know this with um, a lot of the kits that we sell that aren't our brand some of them will tell hey this yeast this kit doesn't come with the yeast and by the way you probably want to grab three packs of Y yeast or do a starter Um, and for a first time brewer doing a starter looking at your kind of what your pitch count should be can be really intimidating it's hard to over pitch just throw in an extra package of yeast so if you're using dry yeast cough up the extra 4 bucks, put in another package of yeast. If you're doing extract and you really want to be using liquid yeast, you should probably should be looking at starters to save yourself a little bit of money. But If not, use a second package. By having more yeast at the start of the fermentation, those cells are going to be less worked, less stressed at the end of the fermentation so that you get a better tasting beer. So use more yeast. It's a a cheap little cheat that you can do to throw in an extra package of dry yeast. If you're making one of our kits, if you're making one of the kits that we sell, go ahead and open it up at the counter, you know, and we can help you find an extra yeast to add into it. A lot of our kits that are bigger alcohol already have two to three yeast packets in case you don't give the beer enough oxygen, in case you have some other problems, uh, in case you have trouble with fermentation control, we give you two to three yeast packets in some of our bigger beers to kind of guarantee that you end up with a clean fermentation. And last of all, control your fermentation, control the temperature of your storage of beer, go back, check on it every 12 hours, you know, before work, when you get home, Um, And try to do anything you can do to control the temperature on your beer. And if you don't have a fermentation chamber, this can be kind of tough. You're either left um, fermenting at kind of the ambient temperature of your basement or your living room or wherever has the most consistent temperature. Um, But it's really important to the fermentation of the beer. You can do everything else right throughout the entire process. And if you don't have a fermentation chamber, if you're not watching your, you know, temperatures, you will have problems. So you can do everything right. And if it gets too hot, it will get phenolic. If the temperature crashes on it, it will under attenuate, you know what I mean? Um, If it gets stored too warm, it could skunk or oxidize. So once you brew your beer, while the backbreaking work is over, the attention is not. Keep on the beer for the next couple of days. Um, this is usually pretty easy. You're usually going back to check on it anyways. Now you know what you should be looking at, looking at the temperature, looking at the how active the fermentation is. Um, if you don't already have one of those cheap stick-on thermometers on the side of every fermenter, absolutely should have one. They won't um, give you kind of false reads or anything like that. They're really accurate um, for those little cheap, you know, liquid crystal display thermometers. Um, two bucks, put one on every single fermenter. Um, if you're gonna brew and you're in an apartment, this was my struggle for years. I would fill up my fermenter with five gallons of water, and I would begin sticking at places. And I wasn't necessarily hoping to find a perfect temperature but I was hoping to find consistent A reliable spot. Yeah, so if I find, okay, it's, I'm over here and I'm at 72, I guess we're making a Belgian. Right. You know what I mean? And this is another reason why I think a lot of my old IPA recipes have all Belgian yeast for it because I found it easier to say, do you want to what? I'm going to use a pack of F33 Belgian-style ale instead of the US05 because in those 70-degree range – I know that US05 is going to do really bad things that I yep. don't want, so it was easier to switch up the yeast to one that was better suited for the temperatures of my apartment. Um, but that's kind of the basic laydown. And you want to want, if you're an all-grain brewer and you're not doing these kind of like seven steps we've just covered on every single beer, I bet you your beer tastes like extract. And at that moment, I do mean that as an insult. So just because you're brewing extract doesn't mean you're going to be brewing bad beer. There's no extract flavor, but if you're skipping kind of basic steps that brewers pick up, you know, as they brew, you know, and I think it kind of happens that you end up picking up one step every time you brew, um, your beer gets better, and it doesn't have to do necessarily with the ingredients you're using, you know what I mean, or the type of process you're using, but the fact that you know really what's important, and you're watching your beer uh, and paying attention to your consistency through
1: every step of the process. All right. Questions for future shows? Write us in, niagara.tradition at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep,
0: that's the best place to go. You can hit up either one of us on Twitter. Yep. We're pretty active on there. Um, but yeah, send us any questions. If you have any ideas for shows, let us know. We're always open to ideas, and a
1: couple of the last ones have been kind of customer submitted. So very good. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next week here on Nog Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN
0: fifteen twenty.
1: listening to just brew it brought to you by niagara tradition homebrew whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started visit them at 1296 sheridan drive in tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of just brew it